Our scripture reading this evening is from the book of James. James chapter 3, beginning in 1 through 5. If you're using the Red Pew Bible, you'll find that opening at page 1012. James 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a, a small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. It's great to see you this evening. Um, we have a tradition here at Katy that when we have members who move away, we always send them a book as a memento of our love for them. And what we would like to do is have everybody sign that book. So right now in our foyer, there are five books that last count that I made anyway, uh, five individuals or families that either have left or are leaving. Uh, Carolyn Harms, uh, the LaBeouf family, uh, the Simmons family, David Simmons family. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Um, the Sykes are there, yes, and then, um, oh, the, the Diaz's, yeah, Francisco and Rosario uh, have moved to San Antonio. And so don't forget, because I work here, you know, and I'm here every day, I still haven't signed those books, but uh, <laughs> I'm a hypocrite. But, um, but please do uh, take some time when you, when you get a chance and, and sign those books and, and um, share with the people that are leaving your, your care and your concern for them and, uh, and, and thankfulness that they've worked here with us. You know, Christians don't ever say goodbye. New Testament Christians don't. We just say, see you later. And that needs to be our attitude always. But we wanna, we wanna send these individuals and families off with, with our thanks and our gratitude for the work that they've done among us. God expects us to use our tongues, our words, in a way that is helpful, that is upbuilding. Three passages to begin our lesson this evening. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Luke chapter six, verse 45. Luke chapter six, verse 45. Anytime you preach a sermon about our speech, it steps on everybody's toes because all of us need help with our speech. In fact, that's James's point in James chapter three that we'll study in just a moment. But listen to the words of Jesus here in Luke chapter six and verse 45. The Bible says, Jesus says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus wants you to know that whatever is in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. Therefore, we ought to give great thought and great prayer to what's really in our hearts. What really motivates us? What are we really thinking about? A second passage, turn to Ephesians chapter four and look at verse 29. Ephesians chapter four, verse 29. If ever you wanted to do just a devotional on my speech and what I'm saying to others, these three passages are a great way to start a devotional like that. Ephesians four, verse 29. 
The scripture says to Christians particularly, Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. There is a prohibition. We are not to allow any corrupt word to proceed out of our mouths. And then there is a command. Instead, you ought to speak words of edification. The word edification means to build up. So what I say as a Christian ought to be intended to build people up, to build the church up. If everything I say is critical and tearing people down, I've got the exact wrong impression about what a Christian speech is to be about. No corrupt word, nothing slanderous, nothing, nothing gossipy, certainly nothing foul or blasphemous. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what's good for edification. There needs to be more edifying speech among us. One more passage, Colossians chapter four and verse six. Colossians chapter four and verse six. There are many other passages we could bring into our discussion as we think about how we are to speak, but these three are a good way to introduce this particular lesson tonight. Colossians chapter four and verse six. Paul says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. The scriptures indicate that when we speak, our speech ought to be gracious in nature. And I don't know about you, but that's kind of hard to do. It's hard to always be gracious in what we say. It's hard to always speak for edification and to think about the fact that out of the abundance of my heart, my mouth will speak. But all those things are true. And that's why in James chapter 3, turn there now if you would. In James chapter 3, James gives us some very stern warnings about the way that we speak, about our language, about our words. James chapter 3. James is an epistle that is practical in nature. It's down to earth. It is simple and straightforward and easy to understand, difficult to apply, however. And in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, James talks about our words. He gives us four warnings. We need to think about these warnings and think about the power of our tongues, the power of our words, because you can crush somebody's spirit with your words. You can cause somebody to become discouraged and to give up because of the way that you speak to them. People believe what we tell them about themselves. We need to think about our words. Consider this, warning number one. As you look at James chapter three, verses one and two, James warns us to be careful how we speak, primarily in the first place, because we are imperfect people. Notice what he says in James 3, one. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren. Why? Because as such, we shall incur a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways, he says. Now think about it. He's not saying it's a bad thing to teach. And I know a lot of people who have taught over the years that, you know, maybe were a little bit reticent to teach because they said, well, James 3, 1 says, let not many of you become teachers. Here was the problem in James's day. Everybody wanted to stand up in front of the crowd. Everybody wanted to stand up and teach. And James is rebuking that spirit. If you're just ready and eager and itching to stand up and speak to people because you just want to be heard, you just want your voice to, to, to sound, you like the sound of your own voice, don't have that attitude. You need to realize a couple of things. 
if you're going to stand in front of people and if you're going to teach people or if you're the one that likes to talk in a conversation with a number of others, remember a couple of things. Number one, even when our intentions are good, God is going to judge us based on our words. As such, as a teacher, God will impose a stricter judgment. Why is that? Because we are responsible for what we say to others, and especially in a teaching situation. Even when we intend to say things that are good, we don't always succeed. We are imperfect. That's the point. Jesus gives a similar warning in Matthew 12, 36. He says, watch out how you speak because for every idle word that men may utter, they will give an account in the day of judgment. We are imperfect people. So approach teaching and approach speaking in general with an attitude of humility. I don't want to say anything wrong. I want to be gracious. I want to have speech that is seasoned with salt. But even then, I don't always get it right even with the best of intentions. And he goes on and says in verse two, we all stumble in many ways. There are a lot of different ways in which we sin. A lot of different things that go on when we have conversations with others. You know, if you could ever stop in the middle of a conversation or a sentence and analyze all the different emotions and the baggage and the history and the things that are going on in our hearts, wow, who's got the time to unpack and sort all that out? A warning about the fact that we all stumble in many ways. If anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Think about that in verse 2. If you could get a grip on the way that you speak, and you could always speak graciously and always speak for edification, if you always knew the right thing to say at the right time to the right people, if that was you, you would be a perfect person. That's how closely related our speech and our lives are but we're imperfect people. Therefore, we ought to speak with humility. Be careful when you speak. Warning number two, as you look at James chapter three, notice that he says in verses three and four, you need to remember that your words are powerful. When it comes to what you say, you can destroy other people. You can destroy relationships. You can destroy congregations of God's people just by your words. And he uses two illustrations here in these verses. The first illustration is that of a bit in a horse's mouth. Abby, my daughter, rides horses. And we go out about once or twice a week. And just last night I was out there and she was saddling up the horse and I had the uh, hold of the, uh, the bridle. And this is a massive animal. And I'm thinking to myself, I've just got a hold of this little piece of leather, but just by holding on to that, you can, you can guide the, the, the animal. And, you know, I, I go out there and I watch the guys that are working with the horses. And I think, you know, those horses, if they wanted to revolt, they could, you know, th- they could take over this place. But they're, they're docile and they, they listen to and they obey. And, and when they have a bit in their mouths, the bit controls where they go. And that's James's point. The horse is a massive animal. It's large. It's got a lot of mass to it, but you put that bit in its mouth and you can turn the entire horse. It's amazing to see. And he's saying that's the way your tongue is. If you could just control your tongue, you could control your entire life, he says. And even more than that, realize the weight and the import and the, and the influence that your tongue has. The second illustration he uses is a rudder in a ship. If you think of a massive ship like an oil super tanker or the Titanic, if you will, 
A small rudder controls that massive multi-thousand ton ship. And he's saying, your tongue, even though it's a small member of your body, boasts of great things. Behold how great a forest is kindled by just a small flame. Brothers and sisters and friends, the point is this. What you say matters. And what you say has a tremendous impact on the people who hear you. Take your words seriously. Proverbs writer says this, life and death are bound up in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Life and death. You know, there are thousands and thousands of little children that live in homes right now tonight and they never hear a kind word from their parents. How do you think that's going to influence them as they grow older? They never hear anyone say that they believe in them, that they love them, that they are concerned about them. They never hear those words spoken to them. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Think about the influence and the impact of words. And the James's point is most people don't. We don't think about how powerful our words are. We just kind of assume, you know, that people know how we feel about them and things like that. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. The idea is that whatever we speak, (coughs) whatever kinds of words are coming out of our mouths, those are going to produce a harvest. When you stop, if we could put a tape recorder in your life for a week or a digital recorder now, tape recorder is kind of archaic, I know. If we could put a digital recorder in your life and record everything that's being said and we played it back on Sunday morning, would you be ashamed? Our words are powerful. Third warning that James gives us in James chapter three, beginning in verse five, all the way through verse eight, unbridled tongues tend to destroy. The idea is that we need to bridle our tongues, that we need to bring them under control as best we can so that we do speak with grace and so that we do speak edifying words. And listen to what he says in verse five. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest fire, a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, he says in verse six, a very world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body, sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Unbridled tongues tend to destroy. Think about what he's saying. If I just say whatever comes to my mind, if I just, whatever goes in my heart, whatever comes to mind, it just comes out my mouth. I am going to tend to destroy lives. I'm gonna tend to destroy relationships. I'm gonna tend to destroy everything good in my life. Notice again the illustrations. A little flame starts a forest fire. Again, a stain ruins everything else our bodies do. And again, a blaze consumes the plans of our lives and accomplishes the the will of hell itself. That's the idea of being set on fire by hell. The idea that whatever it is the devil's wanting to do in our lives, it's a lot easier for him to do those things if we just run our mouths all the time. 
And especially if we run our mouths in anger or if we run our mouths in in gossip and trying to talk about what we know and how much we know about things that other people don't, unbridled tongues tend to destroy. That's his point. Remember to bridle your tongue in the following situations. Unbridled tongues tend to destroy, so therefore you and I need to remember to bridle our tongues when we're stressed. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but we need to remember to bridle our tongues when we're under stress, when we're busy. You ever been really busy doing something and somebody asks you an innocent question and you just respond in anger? Busy. When we're preoccupied, when we are irritated, we need to be careful how we speak to others. When we're angry, when we're upset, when we're hurt. We need, as God's people, to bridle our tongues. James's point is that when this is the way that we speak, we're going to tend to destroy the things around us and the things that are good. Marriages can be destroyed because of unbridled tongues. Parent-child relationships can be destroyed and ruined because we're not careful how we speak. Speak with edifying words. Speak with gracious words. Speak because out of the abundance of the heart, That's what's going to come out of our mouths. Be careful to bridle your tongue when you're in a foul mood. Those are the hard times to bridle our tongues. And then this fourth warning, as you look at James chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, the fourth warning about the way we use our words is this. Our speech reflects our hearts. Whatever comes out of our mouths, as Jesus said in Luke 6, 45, is a reflection. It is a direct connect to what's going on in our hearts. In verses 9 through 12, look at what James says. There's an observation. With our tongues, brethren, he says, we bless God. And with our tongues, we curse men who are made in the likeness of God. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. He's talking about people that come and we sing, oh, how I love Jesus. And we sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. We bless God with our tongues on Sunday morning, on Sunday night, but then we go back into the world and the way we use our tongues is completely different. He said, that's, that's an observation I've made and a declaration that he makes as a result of that. This is not how things should be. We need to be consistent in the way that we use our tongues. If we're going to bless God, we ought to bless other people with our tongues as well. That's the connection he's making. And he uses illustrations, several of them in verses 11 and 12. Notice as you read the passage in James 3 verses 11 and 12, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Therefore, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. The point is, a fountain gives one thing and one thing only. And if our fountain of our heart is giving two things, something is drastically wrong. Don't be a double-minded man. Don't be inconsistent in the way we speak. Because the speech that that we practice, it's a reflection of what's in our hearts. God's Word wants us to stop and take regular examination of how we're speaking to others. And the reason is because of the power of the words that we speak and because we are imperfect people and because our speech really does reflect what's going on inside. You wanna know what's in somebody's heart? Listen to what they say, it'll tell you. 
all of us as God's people need to take the warnings of Scripture seriously and let God's Word inform and instruct because we've been washed and sanctified by the blood of Jesus. And because of that, we want, we want our speech to please God and we want our speech to build up others. Maybe you're here tonight, you're not a New Testament Christian, but you're ready to obey the gospel. You know that you need to believe and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, and you're going to do that by confessing his name, by repenting of your sin, and by being immersed in water for the remission of your sins. That's how someone outside of Christ becomes a Christian. And if you're ready to make that commitment tonight, or maybe you need to respond, you'd like to ask for prayers. Heaven's invitation is yours at this time. If you'll make your way down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing. What can wash away my sin?